Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, David Crow. Joining me in the studio today are Stephen Morris, our European banking correspondent, and Nick McGaw, our retail banking correspondent. We're also joined by Laura Noonan in New York, and our guest this week is David Duffy, the chief executive of CYBG. That's the group that owns Clydesdale, Yorkshire Bank, and now Virgin Money. This week, we'll be taking a look at Barclays as it tries to defend itself against activist investor Edward Bramson. We'll also be looking at the future of CYBG after it completed its £1.7 billion takeover of Virgin Money. And we'll be asking about growing competition in the US online banking market. So, Stephen, it's more than seven months since Edward Bramson, the well-known activist investor, took a big stake in Barclays. What's the latest? Well, Mr. Bramson has been flying around the world to various exotic locales on his second round of trips to see investors to try and get them on side and reveal progressively more of his ideas about what he wants to be seen done at Barclays. He should be finding very fertile ground among these investors. I mean, the stock has plunged again this year. It's trading at or near a five-year low. But still, he hasn't really been that specific about what he wants to be seen done to the investment bank, where he's very dubious about the amount of capital and the returns generated from various trading operations. He's of the mind that Barclays should run down or sell these operations and abandon its ambitions to be one of the big, bulge bracket Wall Street competitors that the CEO, Jess Staley, has grand ambitions to be. However, he's been very taciturn so far, which is not great for journalists. And Barclays, although claiming he has no support, are quite clearly very panicked by his presence on the share register. He's their second largest shareholder with above 5%. He's rejected 11 meetings with management so far. So you can see Barclays are very calm about this. And Barclays has actually hired Goldman Sachs to lead the defence. So they brought in the big hitters from outside. And they're also using JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank, their regular corporate brokers as well. So there's a lot of firepower being amassed on both sides. But as yet, we've not seen Mr. Bramson come out with his formal attack. Now, the bank is reporting its third quarter results this week. So we could see something around then. Maybe he'll use the opportunity to flesh out some more of his plans about running down the trading operations, or maybe he'll keep his powder dry. His previous investments have been very slow burn, and his backers have a lot of patience for him because his track record is excellent. So how easy is it to run down an investment bank, as Mr. Bremson might propose? It's incredibly difficult. A lot of investors have cited the examples of RBS and Deutsche, both of which have been trying to run down very complex FIC, as it's called, fixed income currencies and commodities trading operations, and they have lost enormous amounts of value during these processes. So if Bramson does have a blockbuster idea that no fig banker, no Barclays employee, and indeed no other activist has had before, then I'm sure the share base will be all ears. We just haven't heard that from him yet. 
Now, this isn't the first time that Mr. Bramson has invested in a UK financial services company. Obviously, we saw him in FNC and some others too. Tell us about the role of the regulator this time round. People inside Barclays are saying they think they have a degree of protection because the regulators might not want Mr. Bramson throwing his weight around. Exactly. I mean, his previous targets have been smaller asset managers or private equity companies. Some They are obviously still listed, but not at the same scale of Barclays, which is, remember, one of the world's globally significant investment banks. Any attempt by Bramson himself or one of his acolytes to get on the board would have to be scrutinised by the PRA, which is an arm of the Bank of England, which aims to ensure banks are run properly so we don't have a repeat of 10 years ago. And any major change in strategy de facto would have to be signed off by the Bank of England as well. Now, there's always the political side to this as wheeled out by German and British politicians. Does Europe still want to maintain a big investment bank to help them with sovereign debt sales, to help back their own corporates? Or is it a bit more relaxed about that and content to see other European banks or predominantly the Americans come in and do this? So Barclays thinks that it has the regulators in their corner there because of the size of the target Bramson has taken on and the sensitivity of a regulated entity such as Barclays it is going to be more difficult than taking on, for example, you know, a small private equity company that doesn't have the same type of scrutiny. So it's been little more than seven months and so far no fireworks. What do we think happens next? Well, as we said, Bramson is very, very tight-lipped, as he has been in the past, about what he wants to do with these companies. One option, since he's a very large shareholder, would be to call an EGM, an extraordinary general meeting, perhaps run his own slate of candidates against the board. I mean, we know, for example, a lot of board members are quite worried about being personally targeted by him, singled out for presiding over a steady decline in the share price and market share and investment banking, things like selling down their incredibly valuable centuries-old Africa operation in order to fund an explosion in FIC and equities trading activity. Another option could be for him just to sit on the register, kind of always in Barclays' rearview mirror, keeping them on their toes, making sure that they don't do anything that drastic. As I say, we hope to hear from him soon, as do lots of investors. A lot of them bought in after he emerged on the register on the thesis that he had some brilliant idea, some really groundbreaking new path for Barclays to go down. But we haven't seen that yet, but uh, we wait with bated breath. There you have it, Mr. Bramson. We're all waiting with bated breath. Stephen, thank you. Last week, we caught up with David Duffy, chief executive of CYBG, the Clydesdale and Yorkshire Banking Group, which has just completed a takeover of Virgin Money. We asked him to explain the rationale for the £1.7 billion deal. Sure. I think with the closing of the acquisition this Monday, we're now in a position where we can look to bring the two firms together. We have to obtain a license, which takes a period of time, up to a year at first. But the ambition for the bank is to be providing the best rated service amongst banks in the UK. And we anticipate that with the brand of Virgin and our capabilities and products jointly, as they are very complementary, and our technology and our real focus on customer experience, I think we can deliver on that promise. And that's what the ambition is. Scottish Bank Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank were both formed in the 1800s, and their brands are well known regionally. But Mr Duffy told us the storied names will be phased out in favour of the internationally recognised Virgin Badge. I think the critical thing in any of these situations is to engage with customers, and we're going to do that, and it's going to be a three-year window of migration. We've agreed that up front the retail brand 
is what will be driven mainly by uh, Virgin Money. And we will look at and explore the SME brand with our customers, but we have the rights to either include that in the Virgin Money brand or maintain a separate brand. So I think we will do that process by just fundamental engagement with our customers over an extended period of time. Following the deal, CYBG is the largest of the challenger banks set up to rival Britain's big five. But Mr Duffy told us he expects the fiercest competition to come from outside the traditional banking sector. We've become the sixth largest bank in the UK, but for me that's a statistic rather than a particularly important factor. I think it gives you a certain level of resilience for multi-cyclical events and all of that sort of stuff. It gives you the ability to generate sufficient investment, capital and or shareholder dividend. So that's very important. But I think the real model for us in the future is to think about what's happening in the overall banking structure in the marketplace over the next period of time. And I see credit card companies, payment companies and big tech companies at varying degrees of involvement, particularly likely to disintermediate the banking model as we know it. Individually and collectively, they'll have a large influence on many of the activities that banks engage in today. So what we're looking at is creating that brand loyalty, that fundamentally brilliant service level that brings a relationship to a higher level, and then an offering of other services, you know, not purely banking sectors, and then an optionality around our relationships to do partnerships with fintechs and partnerships with any of those kinds of entities. So recognize disintermediation is coming. It's just a matter of the period of time it takes for it to scale in the UK. Um, We see it in the rest of the world. And prepare yourself to be a participant rather than have something done to you in the context of disintermediation. Now, Nick, you interviewed Mr. Duffy last week. Clydesdale and Yorkshire aren't nationally recognised brands, but they are well known in their respective regions. Is there a risk to disbanding them? Yeah, it's an interesting question. CYBG is a bit of a mouthful, but as you say, in its two home markets, both Yorkshire and Clydesdale are well-known and relatively popular brands. They're both more than 150 years old. Clydesdale even prints its own banknotes in Scotland. And so you could see that there might be some risk in giving up the benefits of that legacy reputation. That said, Virgin is much better known across the rest of the country. And we asked Mr. Duffy directly about this. And his view is that increasingly with normal consumer banking, loyalty doesn't count for too much anymore. People basically choose their current accounts either if they move at all, then they'll go based on who has the best rates or who is giving you the best bonus for switching. There's not much choosing based on their affection for a certain old brand and mortgages are generally sold through brokers so again the benefits of the old brands in his view are not that huge anymore where it is more of a question is in business banking that's very much still relationship based and that's where I think to an extent they've not really made up their minds yet they have the option to use the virgin brand across that and they're testing the waters at the moment to see what the responses will be I got the impression that even there, though, Mr. Duffy was leaning towards introducing the Virgin name, which, because of his associations with Richard Branson, the wider Virgin group, he said actually could be a bit of a benefit for business banking customers because they see it as quite an entrepreneurial name to be associated with. Now, Mr. Duffy told us he expects the stiffest competition for CYBG not to come from banks or the big five banks, but rather the established tech players like Amazon and Apple, and also from smaller fintechs. But given the size of companies like Amazon and Apple, how does he expect a relative minnow like CYBG to compete? I think there's probably two sides to their response. The first is kind of simple, and to an extent it's part of the reason for the Virgin merger, which is it helps to get a little bit bigger. 
the hope is that although the enlarged group will still be much smaller than the big five, their argument is that they can be big enough to have scale to actually be able to put in investment in the stuff that matters, like the key technology areas, but still be small enough to be agile and respond quickly, not be like trying to turn around a hulking oil ship, which some of the big banks can sometimes be like. At the same time, there's an acknowledgement that a lot of the future is going to be based on partnerships, that if you are a mid-sized bank, you can't do everything on your own. JP Morgan can invest $10 billion a year in tech. CIBG just can't do that. So a couple of months ago, they did a deal to partner with PayPal, for example, to let you integrate your PayPal accounts with your B, which is one of their other brands that's going to soon be replaced with Virgin. But on your banking app, you could see what it would in future be your Virgin credit card or current account and also your PayPal account and work together on that. They've also done deals with companies like EasyBob, which is a SME lending firm that just last week did another deal, its own deal with American Express. That shows where he sees this competition coming from. I'd expect to see a lot more of that going forwards, but it is, as I'm sure they'd admit, a challenge that they're still going to have to work out. Okay, well, from us at the Banking Weekly podcast, it's a sad farewell to the Yorkshire Bank and Clydesdale brands. And to our Scottish listeners, let us know if you see any Virgin Money banknotes popping up in the future. Nick, thank you. Now we're joined by Laura Noonan, our US banking editor from New York, where she has been taking the temperature of the online banking market. Laura, it's been a pretty active time in the online banking market in the US. Just last week, we were speaking about Barclays launching online checking. And now HSBC, PNC and Goldman Sachs have all come out with new initiatives as well. What are they up to? Yeah, it's certainly been a very active time. The first mover this week was PNC, which is one of the largest regional lenders in the US. It's the ninth biggest bank in the US by assets. What PNC is doing is effectively moving into the online lending space. So they're going to launch online only loans. They'll be working with an existing large online loan provider in the US called OnDeck. What the online only lending is going to allow them to do is basically lend to the entire of the US rather than only being able to lend to the states in which they have an actual physical branch. It's a similar story to what we saw with Barclays last week when we talked about how Barclays was going to be launching an online checking account which would allow them to address the entire of the US and to address a much bigger market. PNC is now effectively doing the same for online lending. Then a couple of days later, HSBC came out and they're also doing some online lending. Now for HSBC, I guess there was two aspects to it. The first is they weren't actually doing consumer lending at all in the US. They had a pretty bad experience from the 2003 to 2009 period where they bought a US subprime consumer lender. They lost a lot of money in that and they kind of pushed away from that business. So they're now getting back into consumer lending. This time it's going to be online as well. They're also working with an established online lending provider. And they're also talking about how it's going to enable them to really lend beyond their geographic boundaries. So HSBC only has about 230 branches in the US. That covers a relatively small amount of the market. They could, in theory, use this new online lending operation to lend to a much wider market. Then at the same time, Goldman Sachs, which is obviously the first bank to really push into the online banking space in the US to the launch of Marcus, they have also this week merged their investment services division and the division that Marcus is a part of, the consumer banking division. And part of the reason that they're doing that is so that they can launch a broader wealth management offering, they say. So the idea is that they have markets which has a lot of digital capabilities 
they're going to then marry that with their asset management division and use that to sell a mass market wealth management product. Now they've hinted at that previously. We still don't know exactly how it's going to work, but certainly you've got to think it has a lot of potential because they have the asset management products, which are essentially what they'd be selling in the shop. Marcus has a pretty good platform by this point. I mean, we're talking about 2 million customers and they have fairly ambitious growth plans. So I think this is potentially a pretty big challenge to the existing US brokerage houses, the likes of Charles Schwab, which traditionally do that business. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch as well. So how much is this going to change the market? And can we expect to see more of the same from other firms? I think the impact on this on the market is probably going to be quite a significant thing. I mean, there's a couple of different things going on. The first is just the idea that online-only operations can allow regional banks and also foreign banks, who are pretty limited in terms of their geographic reach in the US, it can allow them access to the entire country. And I think over time, that is going to change some of the competitive dynamics. What we've already seen a bit of in the savings space is online-only providers push up savings rates. So they're offering up to 2% for online-only savings accounts. That's far and above of what the major US banks do. So far, that hasn't really had much of an impact on major US banks' behaviour. They've managed to pay next to nothing for their own deposits. You have to think that over time, the US consumer is going to say, well, if I can get 2% interest from an online-only bank, which is affiliated to either a large regional bank or to a large foreign bank, I'm going to do that rather than getting next to nothing for keeping the money with my big US retail banks. I think over time, that is going to create some level of pricing pressure. On the consumer lending side as well, I think people are going to warm to the cheaper and more convenient aspect of doing it online that will have competitive pressure and that will force the big banks to up their game. And it also comes at a time when the US consumer lending market has been shrinking anyway. So I think it's basically a competitive pressure that the US banks could probably do without at this point in the cycle. In terms of if we're gonna see more of the same, I think pretty much certainly yes. I mean, online only is a very attractive option and as it's becoming more and more technologically possible, there isn't really much of a downside. The level of investment involves, it isn't actually massive in terms of sums. The one thing you might worry about is banks getting into consumer lending in particular at this stage in the credit cycle. So we're at the point now where while there isn't much sense yet that the US credit cycle has really turned and we didn't see much evidence of it in the bank's quarterly earnings last week, there is an expectation that credit and loan losses can't stay this good forever. So I think maybe there will be some concerns about getting into that aspect now in the short term. But I think if we think about this in terms of medium term trends, online only banks are probably going to be quite a big feature of the US retail banking market going forward. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Stephen, Nick and Laura and our guest, David Duffy. And thank you too for listening. If you're not already an FT subscriber, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com forward slash offer. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at ft.com forward slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.